This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It's the first pod of pre-season, a chance to ask Barry a bleep test number of blindingly obvious questions until he's hurling up in the corner. It's the only way to get him ready for the season. There are some interesting transfers to cover, those that have happened, Havertz, Mount, Schobberslai, those that nearly have, Declan Rice, and those that might not at all insert obligatory Harry Kane bit in there. Some new managers like Poch and Ange have said some things, and then we'll christen a new golden generation of England players, winning the Euros, which means, of course, we'll win the Euros. Also today, Kylian Mbappe spitting PSG truth bombs out loud the Saudis buying everyone not just old people and hopefully enough time to ask Wilson if Ben Folks should come in for Old Trafford all that some shocking Sean Dyche news plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Barry Glendening welcome hello Max hello Lars Sivertson hi Max and hello Jonathan Wilson morning how you doing I'm all right. Thanks for asking. I'm trying to work out the best way to structure this kind of mid-transfer window, everything we've missed, pods. And I thought we'd start with the most expensive Premier League transfer so far, and then kind of there'll be a domino effect, and it hopefully will lead us down everything. And if we reach a cul-de-sac, we'll just go back to the, pre- the, the next most expensive and keep doing that um, until we end up with... The Ashes, which is what we really want to talk about um, and what Barry does in the summer. So, look, the first one is Kai Havertz, Chelsea to Arsenal, 65 million. Lars, where's he going to fit? What I'm hoping this is is uh, Edu and Arteta looking at Havertz at Chelsea and realising here's a kid who's very, very talented, who's been brought into a club who, whether they don't know how to use him or they've had to use him in different roles, I mean, it's a little bit circumstantial, but certainly a guy who was... A number eight, kind of, or a bit of a number 10, like a very sort of forward-thinking midfielder at Leverkusen, who's been brought in and hardly ever played, or not that often played that position at Chelsea, very often stuck up front, doesn't really seem happy there. And they've thought, all right, he's not really performing to his potential where he is, but maybe we could buy him, stick him into a position that suits him a little bit better, and we will get much more out of him. So I'm kind of hoping... I, I, whether this happens or not, I don't know, but I'm hoping we'll have like a, a midfield three where you have Declan Rice sort of at the base and then Martin Odegaard sort of flitting around, pulling the strings and, and leaving uh, Kai Havertz to do his sort of box-to-box number 10-ish, let's get forward type of thing. It's a little bit light, maybe, but, but Havertz actually puts a shift in. So I think this could work. I'm, I'm a little bit like 
you know, there's a limit to how excited I can get on Arsenal's behalf, obviously, but the football lover in me thinks this could be kind of fun. I'm hoping this is what they do. Yeah, I mean, whether they play that midfield in big games or not, I'm not sure. I think I think that is a little bit lightweight. But you can play that three against weaker sides where you expect to dominate possession. And you have the option of, you know, if Odegaard is tired or injured, you can play Havertz effectively in his role. So, it, yeah, they, they've strengthened that midfield and given themselves an extra option. I, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. I And, and I guess if they, they do have injuries in the forward line, he he can fill in there. You know, he's 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 not terrible there. He's he's won the Champions League playing there. I know he hasn't really worked for him at Chelsea, but I do wonder whether if Chelsea hadn't just brought in fifty players, whether they really would be trying to push him out or whether this and you know, we'll get on to Mason Mount, he's collateral damage in the the Bowley trolley dash. And Declan Rice coming in as well, although it hasn't officially happened yet, Barry. Does that excite you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it will almost certainly happen now in the interim period between us recording this podcast and it being edited down and, and put out into <laughs> the world because that's how things tend to happen uh, with us. Uh, I, I see Havertz playing sort of in the, in that number eight role alongside Martin Odegaard and Declan Rice at, behind them in front of the, the back four. I'm I'm one of those people who's not massively convinced yet by Declan Rice. I, I think he's a terrific player, and I suppose you're worth whatever anyone is willing to pay for you. But I, I do think that 105 million, that number that's been bandied about, is, is rather massive. I hope he does well at Arsenal, but um, the jury is still out as far as I am concerned. And actually, if he if he's playing behind those two Lars, that's because he's quite attacking Declan Rice. And if he's on a sort of lung-busting box-to-box and Havertz and Odegaard are also up there, I don't know, there could be some holes behind them. Could he be, though, is my question. There's been the thing with Declan Rice last couple of years is that he seems to want to make himself into more of a box-to-box, more a number eight. I'm not, not convinced. I mean, where I'm sat deciding that I know better for Declan Rice what he should be on doing on a football field. I mean, I know that sounds absurd. But uh, I, I kind of like it. There's just such a real shortage of, of top, top class number sixes. And he has the skill set to do that. So I'm not sure why you would want to try to be a number eight, which there seems to me to be more of out there on the marketplace. Anyway, he's such a great fit for Arsenal because he comes in and you could either use him like I want to see him be used as as an upgrade on, on Thomas Partey. Or you can see him coming in and taking the, the spot that Granit Xhaka has had as the sort of slightly muscular, get forward, get into the box type of guy. So I think now that he's going to Arsenal, you know, even though there was interest from City, and it's funny because when City gets involved in something, we just kind of always assume they'll throw enough money at it and that's where they'll go. But at City, there are places he could fill, but it's not like totally obvious where he goes into the starting lineup. At Arsenal, they've got not one, but two positions. Like Arsenal's problem is there should be two Declan Rices, ideally, because there are two spots in their lineup as of last year where he obviously fits in and obviously would do a job. And also when um, when City get interested, you suddenly go, ah, maybe he is really good. Now <laughs> I've worked. Now, now I realise quite how good I don't, he is. I don't I, know if you saw... Um... Irish News on I think it was an RTE did a story about Rice's imminent transfer to Arsenal and in the footage they used it was him almost exclusively wearing the colours of West Ham or the colours of the <laughs> Republic of Ireland. I don't know if that was just deliberate trolling or a rights issue, but it was quite amusing. 
Um, Xhaka's gone, which is a bit of a shame, I guess, for the Premier League because it was a fun red card at a silly time and a, a banger from outside the box. And of course, he lost Arsenal the Premier League title by getting angry against Liverpool, didn't he? Uh, that time, if I remember last season well enough. Mentioning Havertz brings us to Chelsea, who've done a lot of selling, Wilson. You know, Havertz, Mount, Kovacic, Koulibaly, Mendy, Loftus-Cheek, Aspilicueta. Are they selling well? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of their sales are... Uh... For extraordinary sums, and I think they've done very well. Yeah, you, you've really got to praise their, their selling people uh, for the selling they're doing. I wonder if that's their job title, the, the, the director of selling people. Who, yeah, whoever's forged that link with Saudi Arabia, yeah, hats off to them. Kudabali, Mendy, and who's gone to Saudi Arabia? Or in Golo country, sorry, not in country. <laughs> um, yeah, so the three of them, yeah, to, to get. Was it 80, 90 million for those three between them? Yeah, that, that eases those FFB issues. And that's, uh, that's a real stroke of luck for them. And um, well, yeah, well, well done to the selling people. Uh, Mason Mount is the one I think is a little bit sad that, yeah, he, he was sort of a, the shining light of their academy. And, it, you know, under Abramovich, they did put money into the academy. And he, you know, we thought we'd sort of seen the fruits of that with Samori and, and him and Tammy Abraham. Um, and I, I, I guess Reese James is still at the club, but it does feel that that project actually worked, and it's just been obliterated as part of the the, you know, the Abramovich departure. As I understand it, that he he had been offered a sum under the Abramovich regime. The sum he was being offered under Bowley was less, but with bonuses. And you can understand why he was frustrated by that and why he was reluctant to sign. I like the idea of Todd Bowley doing it and here's a Bowley bonus and it's like a game show and he's in like a spangly jacket. I think, it'd be, I think he'd be so much better at that than running a football club. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's a really good signing for Manchester United. I think you know, the football that Ten Hag wants to play, it's good for United and it, it should be good for, for Mason Mount's development because he had stalled that last season. It wasn't working for him. So I, I look forward to seeing him playing in a in a more Ajax style Manchester United, and hopefully that'll be good for him and good for England. Does he play with Eriksson or instead of Lars? That also depend on the occasion a little bit. I think there there can be calls for. I mean, we've seen a few times this year uh, Ten Hag moving Bruno Fernandes into sort of a mo- notional wide role. Of course, he's he's going to wander wherever you stick him on the team sheet. But I think he also takes a tremendous amount of boxes for that United midfield, like. Wilson says he seems to have the technical skill set and the sort of uh, under, spatial understanding and all of that to, to play the sort of IX type of football. He's good at, you know, keeping the ball moving and playing little smart passes. But also, if you look at what United have, they, they do have a brilliant, you know, defensive midfielder in Casemiro, who's not young, uh, who maybe needs some fresh legs next to him to cover, cover some extra space. And they've got Bruno Fernandes, who's going to play a lot of games as a number 10, probably. Uh, whatever position he's going to play the Bruno Fernandez position you, you stick him in the team sheet and he does his thing and, and you probably want someone again who covers ground and has a high level of tactical understanding to, to maybe prop up some yeah fill some spaces left by him and and I think Mason Mount can do a lot of these things I think if you've seen some sort of underwhelmed reactions from Man United fans on the internet but I think if you make a checklist of what that midfield really needs and you need to find someone who does all those things and also contributes in attacking uh, sense and is youngish and is British. Like, this is, yeah, well, it's really no one else, is there? I mean, in the British thing might not be mandatory for this exercise, but even so, 
I think he ticks a lot of boxes for them, maybe in a non-showy way, but I, I think he's going to make that midfield a lot better. Um, just before we move on from Chelsea, um, Lars, have the have the buying people who I may well be similar to the selling people, but may maybe a completely different group uh, in Nkuku, which we knew about Nicholas Jackson and Diego Moreira. Are they doing a good job at Chelsea? So far in the sort of bowling ball revolution, the issue hasn't been so much the identity of the people coming in. It's to how it all fits together. And I feel like that's kind of still the case a little bit. Of course, signing Nkunku is fantastic. You know, he's a brilliant player. But he is yet another sort of vaguely attacking dude who likes to play off a, a big striker who they, well, they I guess they have Lukaku still, technically. Still don't see exactly where it all fits, but of course they are having a clear out. Uh, so when the dust settles, I'm sure the squad will make more sense. I, I kind of like it. Still on the fence about whether it all fits together and if Pochettino can make sense of it. But a lot of talent and exciting stuff in that squad. Pochettino has sort of in his opening press conference said more or less intimated the slate is clean for Romelu Lukaku if he wants to come back and I expect him back on the first day of pre-season but the signs are he's he's not going to be there you know I think Juve are interested in in taking him yeah Juve and Inter I think so they still need a centre forward Wilson uh yeah um I mean, could I mean if they got someone like Kai Havertz, he could sort of float around. In that. <laughs> I mean, I guess Nkunku could play there, but he, you know, he definitely what we've seen of him, he's better coming in from wide, uh, which you know, I think is true. A lot of a lot of the forward players have got that they they you know they, they come from wide areas. So yeah, they they I don't, it's really difficult with Chelsea because the squad's so big. I'm sort of mentally going through it. They don't, but they don't have any centre forwards, do they? There's nobody I've forgotten. Armando Broja might be fit and healthy again. He's quite a good player, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've seen enough of him to be convinced that, that, that he's necessarily the long-term future. Is, is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang technically still there, I think? I mean, just speaking about people who are unconvinced about being the future. Well, yeah. And then the other thing um, that I think was interesting, was, was it yesterday that uh, Pochettino had stopped Matson leaving? So you sort of think, they had him and they had Cole. Why on earth did they sign Kukurea? Why do they get a player who's worse than either of those two for 60-odd million who doesn't, you know, who doesn't do either of those jobs anywhere near as well? It seems very odd. But I, I'm glad that he's getting his chance because everything I've heard of him from people at Chelsea is that he's, he's very talented. Left back. To Manchester United, David Hayer is gone, Barry. Uh, 12 years at the club. More clean sheets than Peter Schmeichel, um, although I think he played about a thousand times more than Peter Schmeichel. Is he a he leg- played five hundred and forty-five times, Max, and he had a hundred and ninety clean sheets. Ah, um, and what do you make of his legacy? I mean, that's a long time to be anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, and and for, there were times when it looked like he was. I think every season he was about to sign for Real Madrid for quite a few years. You know, we've discussed before on this podcast that he's not the kind of goalkeeper Eric Ten Hag wants in a team playing to the Eric Ten Hag blueprint. So it's no great surprise he's going. Manchester United don't seem to have handled his exit particularly well, but, you know, it's a pretty cutthroat, ruthless business. We know all that. He was player of the year at United four times. They won the League FA Cup, Europa League, and a couple of League Cups, I think. Great servant for them, but 
his game has conspicuously got worse in in the past few seasons and it looked like he would have been happy enough to to stay there as reserve keeper but he's gone now and and I'm sure Manchester United fans will wish him all the very best um, it looks Lars like Anana's coming in from AC Milan. Now, I'm judging him on how well he played in the second leg for Ajax against Tottenham in 2019 and how well he played in the Champions League final. And he has improved a lot. I mean, he has probably played some other football matches in that time as well. But like, he's so... I mean, he obviously played with Ten Hag at Ajax. He's great with his feet. It seems like it could... I mean, he's saying it's transformative too much or not? You joke that he's played a few football matches, but he's actually played fewer than you'd think because, of course, he had that very unfortunate uh, ban because he very accidentally, and, and I'm not actually being, you know, sarky. I think everyone's satisfied that it was a complete accident. But he, he took some some pills that belonged to, to his spouse, I believe, and they, they were not the pills he thought he was taking and they had something in them that was on the banned substances list. And he you do make it sound like a beanstalk and he just yes. grew like 200 feet. Which yeah. would be an unfair advantage for a goalkeeper. Yeah, for sure. These no, but, but, would it? I, I, I think he'd be vulnerable to, to low shots. At the near post. Distance. Do you think he'd yeah. get beaten a lot? He's, he's not getting, we'd have, that's like a space for his leg. I mean, depending what the proportions were, if he had normal-sized legs and a huge torso. It's true. Maybe, but... He'd have to stay upright, wouldn't it? He'd just be flopping over all the time. It's a terrible yeah, signing. covered in leaves. <laughs> he would also be covered in leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Is he evergreen or deciduous? Because that makes a big difference of the seasons, doesn't it? But beyond all that, let's say he hasn't turned into a tree. Hypothetically, he's not a tree. Is it transformative? There's still a tiny part of me that thinks, you know, with all of Man United's resources, are they still just like calling people who Ericsson kind of knows from Holland? Like, is this the transfer strategy still? But uh, all flippancy aside, nothing. They they need a goalkeeper who can who can play with his feet. Onana's very good at that. He's good at these sort of um, throws as well. Like he'd start getting the ball out quickly in that sense. And also, you know, they're, they they improved a lot last year. I thought or improved significantly. But because they weren't able to build from the back, there were a lot of games that were still a bit more chaotic than you ideally want. That you know you want to be able to control the game a bit more. You want to have a tidier possession game. You want to build up better. They just kind of weren't able to do that. They had to go along quite a lot because they just had a goalkeeper who, who can't do it reliably. And and adding a goalkeeper, yeah, I think it will really change the, the the sort of whole thing about what they can what, can, what they can do and how he can build the team. So just on a nano, he, he did walk out of the Cameroon squad at the at the World Cup in in the in the Vikeen style. Basically, he wanted to play it from the back more. And Vigabert Song, the coach, sort of said, "No, we want we want you to stay on your line." Um, so before the game in Serbia, he 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 stropped off, uh, and it was never clear whether he he'd walked out. But again, much like Keane, whether he'd walked out or whether he'd been expelled from the squad. Well, it's, so, it's rigged about someone brought in two lumberjacks and an <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to joke about this, but but kind of illegal logging in Cameroon is a major issue. So <laughs> right, okay, it's, we're all here to learn, aren't we? Um, uh, back to most expensive signings, Dominic Schobberslie. 60 million Leipzig to Liverpool. He's the Hungary captain. If only someone here knew about Hungarian football. I presume he's too current for you, Wilson, isn't he? Being yeah, actual... never heard of him. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, he, he's, he, it, this, this wave of, of Hungarian talent that, you know, they've started qualifying for tournaments again after, uh, what, so the year 2016 was the first time we've been at a tournament since 86, I think is right. So he, you know, he's part of that generation that, that Victor Orban, for all his many, many, many faults, 
you know, he has given tax breaks to encourage investment in academies and stadiums and Hungarian football is slowly picking up and uh, Sobosly is, is the sort of the shining light of that. So I think he's a really good signing. He's used to that hard-pressing football. Technically, he's very, very good. Um, and he plays where? Is he in the front three or is he behind that? No, he'd, he'd, be, as well? he'd be an attacking midfielder rather right. than a... I mean, I'm sure he could play wide if you wanted him to, but yeah, he, he, I, I would assume they see him as a... Attacking midfielders, but as part of you know the overhaul of that midfield has been quite significant now. Uh, they've really sort of lowered the the age profile of it. So Michalis is twenty four, Sabasla is twenty two, uh, and if you think people like uh, Curtis, Jones, Curtis Jones yeah. and um, Harvey Elliott, so suddenly you know I, it looks like Fabinho has been slowly edged towards the exit, or, or and or Henderson. I, Henderson, I would imagine, will stay on in, in a sort of pastoral role. But but yeah, I, I think. It was obvious last season the midfield had got old and they needed to rejuvenate it and, and Sabasai and McAllister so I think a, a very good way of doing that. So what, what what's Liverpool's sort of first choice midfield so for, for next season? How What's it looking like? My guess would be Henderson at the base, which I guess is non-ideal and they'd rather have a Fabinho fit again, plus McAllister and Sabasai. I would assume would be the three, but... I mean, whether they even think in terms of first choices these days, I'm, I'm not sure. But but that that would look the sort of uh, the naturally strongest to me. But yeah, Bajcetic, I think, was so good and at, at, for, at least for, for a while, for an 18 year old, I think they, they can be quite excited about the possibility of him coming in at the base of that. And yeah, Curtis Jones obviously had a great Euros for England, so uh, under 21 Euros. So I feel like a caveat is, as, as Wilson's touched on, is that Shopsley is quite. Uh, versatile you can use them in a number of positions so it could be one of those things that just kind of comes together and club will see how it works out and blah 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 but i also wonder if this could be an indication that they're going to continue with the trent alexander arnold stepping into midfield thing because they were if they were going to have a midfield three even assuming fabinho is kind of back to being good fabinho him anchoring McAllister and Sobosly is still very sort of, yikes, that's quite forward-thinking because Sobosly is an attacking player. Oh, I don't forward. know. McAllister can, can play can play a bit deeper. Yeah. I, think, I think one of the great things about McAllister is his versatility. You know, it, there was times at the World Cup when he was playing, not necessarily the deepest one because I guess Enzo Fernandes was there if, if Paredes wasn't, but he, yeah, I, I don't think he... I don't think he's an attacking, attacking midfielder. I think he's a he's on the attacking side of a sort of first time. But I would still, if again assuming they're going to do a sort of normal four three three and one the right sided midfielder needs to cover for Trent Alexander Arnold a lot because he's running up and down, and I would still expect them to go for more of a water carrier, let's run around a lot type of guy than either McAllister or Sobosly. So it kind of suggests to me that we will see more of the Trent moving into midfield. Uh, maybe next to whoever's the deepest midfielder and having them two in that area when they have possession will kind of free up McAllister and Shobosly to be more more attacking. That kind of makes more sense in my head. That finally gives us a chance to to discuss Trent Alexander-Arnold at length because it's something that yeah, we've, we've haven't touched that not been able to do. One, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, back in a tick. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Uh, welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, so on the 26th of September, Barry, uh, we're doing an online uh, promote the Guardian Football Weekly book live show with uh, Wilson, hosted by Robin Cowan. She will be asking the questions and you can go online and buy the book and then watch us talk about the book and then receive the book and then enjoy the book uh, by simply going to theguardian.com slash guardian live and then scrolling down to our bit. You, I mean, you can watch an online stream of Lenny Henry and Ramesh Ranganathan if you want. I suspect it'll be quite entertaining. Um, but then please buy our book. Do you have anything to say about it, Barry? Um, I suspect that discussion will be involve a lot of bickering about who did what, who did the most work, who did the least... Um, Those uh, aren't really points of contention, (laughs) (laughs) and so it starts. (laughs) Um, I think I'm captain of Team Least. Yeah, that's true, Lars. But but you weren't on the you know the official editorial team. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to a Paxman esque uh, or Burley esque style grilling at the hands of of Cowan. So, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, yeah, so uh, go to theguardian.com slash Guardian Live if you want to watch that. And we uh, we are going to tour. It actually goes, yes, we'll goes to print. It goes to print today. Does it? God, I, so haven't, after that, I haven't read through it. Has, has anyone checked it? No, no, no. It's, um, All right. It's like, just, just, just crossing our fingers, hoping for the best. <laughs> anyway, point out the typos. We've got a fun part of the whole experience. Um, and That's we are going to... a word for it, yeah. <laughs> we are, we are going to tour uh, the UK and Ireland in November. And uh, we have big plans for the following year as well, hopefully. Um, next most expensive signing, Sandra Tonali, 55 million AC Milan to Newcastle. Lars seems more worryingly sensible work from Eddie Howe here. Yeah, I mean, I've heard different versions of that transfer fee. It's it's it is it's a bit on the high side, but but Tonali is a, a very good. He's a very good player. He was often compared to Andrea Perlo because he came through at Brescia and technically very good. Can can pick a pass, likes to sort of ping the ball around in a sort of vaguely Perlo esque manner. But he's a much more rounded player. Uh, gets around the field more. Uh, is quite aggressive. You know. It, you know, can I think the rough and tumble of the Premier League shouldn't phase him? And yeah, again, if we're thinking, I, I, I hold my hands up. I kind of a, perhaps unfairly thought that uh, Newcastle would uh, you would fall into the trap that a lot of uh, clubs with sort of new wealth and not a lot of experience of having wealth fall into, which is that they sign players with with big shiny names who are maybe not in the right place of their career for various reasons. Um. They haven't done that at all, and in the sense of continuing to build, uh, Sandro Tonali m- makes a lot of sense. I'm curious about the tonali Guimaraes partnership. Maybe the idea is that you want Guimaraes to... Because Tonali is good as the sort of sitting slightly deeper, but he also can move around and get forward. So very similar profile to Guimaraes in that, that yeah, positionally at least. Um, which one of them is given a bit more license to get forward? Interesting to see. 
James Madison to Spurs, Barry, 40 million. He's so Spurs, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think he, he looks... Bo- he will be to the manner born. He's a terrific player. Look, lads, it's Tottenham. He will probably do well for them. Whether or not Tottenham will do well remains to be seen. I'm quite excited to see how Ange Postacoglu gets on there and uh, that Spanish chap, uh, Andoni Arola at, at Bournemouth, I think is also a very exciting managerial appointment. But uh, yeah, I fully expect Madison to, to do well as a Spurs player, whether or not Spurs do well with him in the team, uh, yeah, is anyone's guess at the moment. Yeah, Ange did his first press conference, Wilson, yesterday. Um, I mean, I like the cut of his jib. I think he speaks incredibly well. Obviously, he was asked a lot about Harry Kane. Do we? What do we do? Sit and wait? Discuss whether he should go or shouldn't? Discuss whether that means he's worthy of being a footballer if he decides to stay at Tottenham? Um, what it means for his actual ambition and whether actually he's a complete fraud, etc., etc. Who is he going to be playing for this season? I don't know. I, mean, I don't think Bayern will go higher than 70. I think 70 is actually an extraordinary offer. If I were Tottenham, I'd, I'd be taking it. Not just because I think it's good money for him, um, but because you've just brought in a manager who is going to pretty radically change the style of, of how you play. If he's doing that with a player who... He knows well, he's got fairly unique characteristics. And if he knows he's likely to be leaving after a year, um, I think that makes that, that process of sort of re-educating the squad that much harder. Also, if Kane leaves, you sort of get you get it done with. You, you're sort of saying, right, this is a new beginning, and that might buy Postecoglou time. That yeah, you know, if Kane goes and Spurs say, I don't know, only win four of their first dozen games of the season or something. People will be saying, oh, well, you know, Kane's gone. They've got to get used to it. Whereas what you don't want is is Spurs to do okay this season, finish sixth or seventh, then Kane leaves. And then they've almost got to start again without Kane next season. So you either need Kane to, 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 to sign a, a three or four year deal now, or you, you want to get rid of him. I, I think having him going at the last year of his contract with no no real idea what, what, what his future is, I think that just complicates everything for everybody. And it's part of that, Lars, because he... Ange likes to really press and actually Richarlison is probably better at pressing, probably better at any other bit of football than Kane, but like he's better at that. Or do you not share Wilson's view? I, I don't know. I think there is, it's a complicated thing because you have to factor in, like if they sell Harry Kane, that there are odds of, of making top four under any kind of circumstances this year drops to, well, not zero, but not very far away from that, you should think. I mean, they have to have miraculous things would have to happen. So you you need a price tag that kind of reflects that, I guess. And also, you're talking about like selling, ar- arguably. I mean, I know we get recency bias and stuff. He's, he's there, one of, if not the best player of the club's history. It's, it's a big big thing to do. It needs to be an absurd number, even if the, it's the last year of the contract. Because if you let the contract run out, at least it's Harry Kane's fault that he's leaving. It's it's mm. in you know, we did everything to keep Harry here. Harry has decided to leave us. I just think that's politically more um, expedient. And I'm also not convinced Ansh Postacoglu is sat here thinking about anything to do with the year from now. I think he knows well enough what he's walking into here. You know, w- will I be doing well enough that people aren't calling for my head in three months? I mean, he's probably not thinking like that, but that's his reality. And will Harry Kane help him 
more to survive the first six months as head of Tottenham than Richarlison could up front? I think probably yes. And Harry Kane, to his credit, has proven, you know, we know he wants to leave Tottenham. He, he said that like two summers ago when he was like titting about on a golf course with Gary Neville talking about wanting to play with Kevin De Bruyne. Before the season was over, by the way. I thought that was a very strange move. But yeah, he, he made it very clear that he doesn't want to be at the club. But he still got his head down and produced two brilliant seasons. So they know they can say, no, we're not selling you. You can go next summer if that's what you want, but we're not selling you. And you will get, you know, maximum effort for him for another 12 months. And that might be worth 60, 70 million uh, euros, pounds, whatever, for the club. Harvey says, is the British media making too much slash not enough of England's under-21 win? Uh, Dan, how many of the England under-21 winning team will eventually play for Sunderland? Um, Barry, a new golden generation have arrived to save this fine country. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, it could be argued that some of England's best under-21s didn't actually play in that, that tournament and weren't in the squad for various reasons. Obviously, winning any tournament is, is excellent. I think the media made about as much of it as I would have expected. The thing is, it wasn't on television in, in the UK, so we couldn't really get into the tournament. You know, The only game I saw was the final, and it wasn't a particularly great final, uh, but England did just about enough to get over the line and win. Uh, so fair play to them. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think the fact that it wasn't televised in the UK, I'm not sure why it wasn't televised, but it wasn't, meant we didn't sort of gradually get into it and, and England fans didn't get particularly excited about it because I'd say a lot of them weren't even aware it was on. Um, I think there was very few journalists went there as well, which is partly because the season it has been so long, everybody's just stopped and you know, down tools for a couple of weeks. But partly because it's in Georgia, it's a much bigger commitment to go to Georgia to cover it than popping over to the Netherlands or France or Spain or something. So I think that you know that's another reason why it didn't really get the the coverage. Who of those players, Wilson, do you reckon could make England's Euro squad ne- next year? Morgan Gibbs, White, Cole, Will, Taylor, Harwood, Bellis, who I confess I didn't know who he played for, and then obviously he plays for Manchester City like everybody uh, until they get sold. Well, he's been on loan at a couple of championship clubs over the past two seasons and played quite regularly for those clubs. Colwell, I think definitely, if he plays regularly for Chelsea. I think that's... Um, you know, England have an obvious issue at centre-back, so, which he could, could help solve. Very good on the ball as well, which which helps. You know, he had a very good season for, for Brighton last season. So I think you know, he would be an obvious one. I, I guess the midfield's not overstocked to Curtis Jones, maybe. Gibbs White, I don't know. England have a lot of that type of a attacking, you know, not not quite true centre forward, but but yeah, very forward minded player. So I think we would need a couple of injuries or him to have an ex- exceptional season. Madueke maybe if he if he gets a starting berth for Chelsea and does really well, but maybe a bit early for him. But Colwell would seem to be the obvious one. Um, and look, we should mention Lars James Trafford, who saved that penalty in injury ties. A great moment. He's off to Burnley. And, and actually, you know, Burnley don't play the football that in your mind you think Burnley play now. And that'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on. Makes sense, I think, to go from uh, from the Man City Academy to, to Burnley. And, and I mean that because, you know, of course, Burnley coached by, by Vincent Kompany now, who has turned them into a, a ball-playing outfit and a 
bizarrely short. I mean, there was just immediately that that worked straight off from the bat in the championship, which which kind of melted my brain a little bit because I didn't see that coming at all. Maybe he's gone there, presumably to be their first choice goalkeeper this season. So it's a good move for him. And and you joke about uh, Taylor Hadwood Ellis playing for Man City, but I guess that's the sort of thing with some of these guys. I mean, they're going to have to find other places to to, to go because City have spent a lot of resources on building up this brilliant academy and bringing very, very good young players into that academy. And of course, getting into the first team at City is almost impossible. I and mean, to their credit, they do make an effort to integrate the young players. But uh, in in the end, I think that the, the most of them are going to have to, to, to... There are too many good players in that academy, as as we can see from where they're in the opposite. Not all of them can go to Southampton, but a fair few apparently can. Perhaps uh, the, the Burnley is a logical place for, for the other ones to end up. Yeah, and well done to Lee Carsley. Um, and England didn't concede a goal in that tournament. I mean, it'd be interesting to see, you know, it's, it wouldn't be stupid, Barry, to say, listen, if Southgate goes, you can do this. You've taken an England team. You know these young players. But I, can't, I couldn't see that happening. Yeah, well, I mean, did we see Southgate getting a similar promotion? Mm. Uh, he, he got it because Sam Allardyce got caught in that sting. It's worked out well with Southgate. He was promoted, and and everyone seems quite happy with with the work he's done. I don't know if they do the same with with Carsley. But I mean, I guess Southgate has more of a history of play. You know, Southgate had that sort of England history that Lee Carsley definitely didn't. Well, and he managed Middlesbrough as well. That is true. Does that does that help a bit? Yeah, because I mean, ultimately they got relegated, but he kept them up for three seasons. So there's a, a spell at Middlesbrough, and he was doing doing a very good job. I'd like to know how Barry would feel about uh, a guy who's played, uh, was it 40 caps for Ireland, becoming the England manager? Would you feel especially proud about that? I wouldn't have any problem with it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he would get the job. I think people would be largely underwhelmed by such an appointment. But... But, but surely, Barry, you would support an England team managed by an Ireland national featuring Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, <laughs> Harry Kane... Why don't we just call them the Republic of Ireland and be done with it? <laughs> uh, Lars, PSG have bought a lot of players. Agate's come in, Hernandez, Asensio, Skriniar, amongst others. None of them are making as many headlines as Kylian Mbappe. Um, Alan says, isn't Mbappe worth it? And I mean, and by I mean the cost, the disruption, the publicity, the seemingly endless rounds of negotiation, great player, but even still worth it. Explain what's happened. Well, he's he's given an interview where he's spoken about you know the 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 trials and tribulations of being Kylian Mbappe and playing for this this puny little club, and it's very hard for him to win the Ballon d'Or. You have to understand, you know, club that's such a such a mess as PSG. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's more or less what he said. It was a very divisive club. He said in public, I wonder because I also had this moment. Kylian Mbappe is obviously brilliant, and one of the best, if the not if not the best player in the world, but. I think it was last autumn when he'd very recently, just a couple of weeks, months ago, signed this just unfeasibly large deal. They threw just all the money at him to, to stay at Paris Saint-Germain. And a few months later, like it, it sort of emerges from reputed credible sources that he's like unhappy because he wants to play with a striker who's tall like Giroud. I was like, oh my God, this guy. <laughs> There's the amount of whinging you, you hear from this fellow. Just, just get to work. Just do your job. But I also do wonder if there's an element of because he doesn't want to be there. I think we all understand like he shouldn't be at Paris. It's, it's a waste of his time at this point. He wants to be recognized as the greatest player in the world, and that's not going to happen at Paris Saint-Germain. 
So, so you need to move on. And maybe if he went, I wonder if there would be this amount of complaints and drama and stuff if he went to Real Madrid or if he would just get on with his job to a slightly greater extent there. I, I mean, I just, I think he's just, you know, he's stagnating. He's, he's, he's not as good a player as he should be at this stage of his career, given his obvious talent. You know, he, he, he plays in a very old fashioned way that he, he hangs about and he scores goals and, you know, that gets him a golden boot at the World Cup and scores a hat-trick in the final and, you know, you sort of think, oh, he scored a hat-trick in the final, he's incredibly unlucky not to win the World Cup again. But maybe if he'd actually done a little bit of defending, then they wouldn't have been battered in the first half of that game. So does he need a manager, you know, like, you know, I don't know, Klopp had brilliant attacking players like Mane and Salah who also defended. I mean, did you, in the World Cup, do you know what his total of tackle split interceptions was? In seven games? Not. Not, correct. I mean, you can't you can't play modern football like that. Like, Lionel Messi can just about get away with it because he's 30-whatever he was, 7, 6, 36, when he won the World Cup. But Argentina had to, like, every single one of them had to be 110% motivated to win Messi the World Cup for that to work. In both the semi-final and the final, Mbappe had to be moved off the left where he prefers to play into the middle because of the damage he was doing and not tracking the opposing right-back. So it was all that around the quarter-final of Carl Walker did a great job to keep him quiet, which, shit, he did. But Walker didn't get forward at all. And it is true that the one time he went forward, England did concede. But I think that's a slightly freakish coincidence. If Walker had called his bluff and got forward more, England would have dominated the ball out of the pitch and France wouldn't have had the chances that they had. And that's how Morocco did it in the semi-final and could easily have nicked that game. It's how Argentina did it in the first half, well, the first 70 minutes of the final when they could have been three or four in a look. You know, he, he's a brilliant player when he gets the ball, but he does so little without the ball. And he whines so much that... I think he's he's just a, a lot worse player than his, his skills say he should be. Which is still, to say, a very good player. Do you guys think Luis Enrique is the man to bring harmony to PSG or will they, <laughs> will they spit him out as well? I mean, Luis Enrique is not... This is why that is actually quite a fascinating appointment, right? Because I feel like every summer we have PSG going, well, we're going to stop faffing about now and get serious. And, you know, it's not going to be pampered stars. We want to be a proper football team. If that was the case, like if this was like a year zero for PSG, we're going to completely change our entire identity. Anyone who doesn't want to work hard, doesn't want to train properly, doesn't want to follow instructions, you can go away. We're just going to build a team around hungry, uh, younger players, maybe some of them French, uh, and you know, really sort of do a thing. Luis Enrique, I think, would be an interesting guy to be in charge of that. But I don't think that's what's happening. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, the, the, the question now is, can Luis Enrique be a sort of a... Ancelotti character who has the sort of fingerspitzgefühl to keep all these sort of pampered egos happy and make the team work. Not sure about that at all, because I mean, we should have Sid here to talk about him in depth at some point, but by all accounts, he's a very uncompromising character who's you know, wants to do things his way and is not afraid to throw his weight around. So that should be fun. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get the popcorn ready for this. I mean, it should be good. He's also quite eccentric, isn't he? Like During the World Cup, he was on Twitch every night doing these rambling, piss-takey monologues and stuff, which I think a lot of Spanish people didn't appreciate. Was he what, Was he on Twitch? Don't you, like, go and play Call of Duty and people watch you? Is that what Luis Enrique was doing? He was playing I don't think he was Rainbow playing Call Isle, of Duty Rainbow or, Islands or Lemmings 2. But saying. he was very, sitting in a gamer's chair and uh, just waxing lyrical on various subjects that took his fancy. Oh, fair enough. Um, Maybe that's brother. why Spain didn't do that well at the World Cup, because the coach was like hooked on escape from Tarkov and was like sort of running around trying to... Yeah. 
He was knackered. He'd been ta- playing too much frack. Um, anyway, uh, next week we're going to do a Women's World Cup preview show. Our sister podcast, The Guardian Women's Football Weekly, is going to take the lead on the tournament, as it should. We're going to drop a few of those pods into our feed. We'll, of course, cover it over the next few weeks before we're back to uh, three pods a week at the start of August. That'll do for part two. Part three will begin with the Saudi League. <laughs> Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Stephen says, why do you think everyone's so apathetic towards all these players and managers moving to Saudi? Do you think we're just moving to a level of acceptance of them buying football? So Ronaldo obviously went last year, Benzema's gone, Kante, Ruben Neves, uh, Koulibaly, Mendy, Brozovic, Firmino, Stevie G has gone there too. Um, loads of rumours about other players going and, and managers and coaches as well. And it's not just 35-year-olds. What, how, how are we meant to feel about this, Wilson? Um, well, it's a bit different to a club in your own league because I guess you sort of think players have agency, they can make their own decision and you know, it, it feels less sort of invasive to, to a fan of, of, of the Premier League. But it's, it's not a good thing. Um, and I guess what's interesting is, is this just you know, another China where they, they try and give their league credibility by signing lots of well-known names and then eventually it sort of runs out of steam? Or do the Saudis actually have so much cash they can keep signing players until the league gets the credibility that they start signing players at, at the at the peak of their careers? And you 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 know you wonder what the the long term goal is. Are they are they trying to raise a, the level of the Saudi league so they can compete more in the Asian Champions League in the Club World Cup, or is the sort of a thought of actually you know we could be eventually looking to join the the Champions League? And yeah, my, my suspicion is in the, the very long term goal is is that. From what I understand, yeah, yeah, they they the, the China comparison isn't perhaps that good because the the money is is limitless, and what they're spending on football is sort of actually sort of virtually is peanuts compared to say what they're spending on building that massive city, uh, Neom is it called? Sort of down at the bottom of Saudi Arabia, a big long sort of oblong city. Yeah, no, I mean that, 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 that's the point. The, the, the China could only sustain the losses for so long. Do are the Saudis actually willing to keep sustaining them to the point where it gains credibility? That initially it looks like, you know, the, the China project of of offering a, a final pay packet for aging players or, or sort of so players who maybe aren't quite elite level in the late twenties or people like Oscar who, who sort of gets seduced by the by the money and will it fizzle out? But they they clearly do have more money. It's just whether they're the Saudi state is prepared to keep sustaining those losses and, and for how long. And the Saudi league actually has much more history than the, the Chinese league as well. You know, it's it, they've performed well in the Asian Champions League before this all happened. And Saudi Arabia is a, I mean, for want of a better phrase, is a proper football country. I mean, they they won they won the Asian Cup twice in the nineties, I think, won, or maybe even three times in a row. They, I think they've won it three times. I, I remember I was in. Uh, Sidon in Lebanon in 2000 when they played Japan in their first group game in the Asian Cup and it was seen as being this is this is the clash of the two favourites and Japan I think went 4-0 up by half time it was an amazing night there was uh, Sidon's a, it, it's an old crusader place it was like the, the stadium backs onto the sea and there's a crusader fort just to the just to the as you sit in the press box crusader fort down to the right that main stand is much bigger than the other three stands you can see right across to the Becker Valley 
So there was, it was, it was a thunderstorm over the Becker Valley. So you had this incredible landscape and the, the sky was like purple and you know, lightning flashes and there was a, um, a fairground. So you had this Ferris wheel as well. And then watching this sort of apocalyptic defeat for Saudi Arabia, who then they sacked, they had a Serbian coach. Was, he, was it Machala? Who they sacked immediately. And then they, they did sort of recover to get to the final where Japan beat them 1-0. Um, but that was sort of seen as being, this is the moment at which a balance of power in, in Asian football shifts from west to east. So the Saudis do, my, my point I started with, about two hours like, ago, sort of 30 I years know, ago. Still with us, but, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you painted a lovely picture. The Saudis, the Saudis were the sort of uh, the leading power in Asian football. Are you going to watch it, Barry? Uh, no, probably not, because I won't have time to watch it. I already spend loads of time and most of my weekends watching football, and uh, the Saudi league will be very low down my list of priorities. I don't know if it'll even be available to view, but uh, no, I, I won't be rushing. So I might, you know, watch a game or two out of interest to see what the standard is like, but because um, I don't really know what the standard is like, I've read like it's League Two standards, so which seems I, I thought it would be better, but uh, I suppose I'll have to watch a game or two to find out for myself. Um, and should we judge players, Lars, for for taking the money? Oh no, I've thought about this a little bit. It's very easy to turn down money on other people's behalf. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you must not take the money. So you can sit here and say that. It doesn't matter to me. No one stuck a contract with that many zeros in front of me at any point in my life. And it's very easy to uh, climb on top of, of, of your high horse when you've never been in that situation. We had a Norwegian player a couple of years ago who'd had a sort of fairly middling career in the Norwegian League and had like one great season and suddenly he got a, an offer from the Saudi League and you know, for him, that would have been pretty life-changing money for him in his career. And I'm not going to judge him from, for going. And I don't know the circumstances of all the players going. There's a side of me that thinks, if you have as much money salted away as some of these guys should have, then surely there are other things you can do with your time. But, you know, it's also a lot of money. So I, I, it is what it is. Adam says, can you box off the last 20 minutes for Ashes chat instead? Wilson will have plenty to say. And there's not that much football going on. Um, what, what are your changes for Old Trafford, uh, Wilson? Any? I think you bring back Anderson for Robinson, depending on Broad's fitness. It brought it brought and on Wood's fitness, but Wood, I know, said yesterday he thinks he can play the last two tests. So I think you have to keep. And Wokes Wood in. is brilliant. Wokes Anderson was is brilliant with the ball. Well, Wokes has yeah. to stay in. I, I, I'm gives you solidity with the bat. Uh, Robinson was the only one. Yeah, he still took about three wickets in the first innings, so didn't play badly. But if you are going to give Anderson his sort of farewell on his home ground, a ground where he's always bowled well. I think he is the one he misses out. I would prefer folks there. And Bairstow's not getting any runs, right? So, so, so... Well, he got he got 70 in the first innings and then he then he started keeping wicket. And it's as if his failures in mm. keeping wicket have, have infected his batting. Getting out bowled, which was the big problem for him before he sort of reset, that's, that's raised its head again. Um, you've got the issue of who's going to bat at three, I mean, Moen seems happy to do it, but didn't. I mean, I know he, you know, he got a good ball in the in the second innings. But yeah, you're sort of better sacrificing um, Moen at three and having Brook at five than sacrificing Brook or Root at three, aren't you? Well, you could you could you could ask Root to bat three. Um, 
Or you, you leave out, I mean, you can't leave, you've got to play a spin at Old Trafford, right? You have to. So Moeen's got to play. And maybe the way you get him in the size is at three, if he's happy to do that. Jim says, how's the social media break going, Max? Are you enjoying the lack of stress it causes? Are you fearful you may have your own Ramos to PSG moment as a result of not being all over the news? I do have to look at websites to find out if Cambridge have signed anyone. I have to go, I have to, go to cambridgeunited.com. It feels so 90s to find out. Uh, it's very relaxing. And I need full disclosure here, Barry, in that, I was going to give my password to my wife, but I've forgotten it. So when a tweet says on behalf of me, I am writing that, but then I'm logging off straight away. So I <laughs> okay. think that still counts. Uh, Joe says, are we going to get a life and times of Barry anytime soon? These two have done it. Troy and Nikki did it. No, if, if, if you can't get it on the Moon Underwater podcast. It's there. I've kind of done that interview a few times now. I don't, don't want to do it again. And actually, Barry's moon underwater is much more interesting than my moon underwater, as you would be. <laughs> you won't be surprised to find out. Uh, Monty says, what's good, Hollywood? Which I think is a way of saying hello. Uh, Max was stoked when some Brentford player climbed Mount Fuji. It was actually Arnott Danjuma, but, you know, forgive you for that. Uh, instead of just lying about on a sunbed in Dubai, he thought he might like John McGinn's recent post on Instagram about his and his partner's holiday in Africa. So far, they've gone on a safari to see elephants and lions, as well as flown over the Victoria Falls in a helicopter. I am impressed uh, at John McGinn. Um, uh, Ruka, thank you for pointing out this tweet from AFC Whiteleaf. Due to an opposition stag do, we're now looking for a friendly for our first team on Saturday the 29th of July. Ideally away, steps four to seven, would consider playing a higher level under 23s, step one to three. Um, if you are in steps four to seven, uh, let Whiteleaf know. Um, we've had some lovely emails about um, uh, the, the podcast we did with Troy and with Nikki. Um, a guy says, I'm an avid listener, but I never write in. I wanted to just say, I really enjoyed the recent show exploring Nicky's life. It was quite revealing for me. I remember years ago loving another Bandini's Guardian Italian football blog summing up that week's games and being quite sad when they suddenly left and were replaced by a new correspondent called Nicky. I particularly remember thinking it was surprising she had the same surname, but presumed Bandini was the Italian version of Smith and thought nothing of it. The blogs were quite good, seemed to be almost as good as their predecessor, which was impressive as I'd loved those ones. So my ignorance continued right up until I listened to Football Weekly this week. Uh, I don't care about a journalist's background or personal life, only what they write about football. Um, still, it was great to hear about Nicky's experiences and finally to understand um, uh, that those two bandinis are one and the same. Keep up the good work. Chris says, as a parent of a soon-to-be 16-year-old trans kid, it made me think of other things that had gone through my kid's mind before he made the decision. Although I know each journey is unique and different. We're four years in and while there's a long road ahead, it's, uh, it's all good. So thank you. Um, uh, Peter says, just wanted to thank you and Nikki for your recent podcast about Nikki's life. Fascinating. Uh, powerful and enlightening in so many ways. Hope it will open many minds and hearts. Um, thanks also for mentioning my tweet about Nikki's time spent doing work experience at the Leamington Courier. I appreciate it's a minor part in Nikki's life. Don't put yourself down, Peter. But I was the news editor at the time. It's been wonderful to see her flourish since. Uh, in case she's interested, I've attached a PDF of the feature she was that was mentioned on the podcast about MP3s in 2006. Uh, feel free to pass it on if she's after any souvenirs from that time. Um, and this is from Kevin, who says, um, Dear Max, Barry and the gang, especially Troy and Nikki, um, it's not so important that this get read on air uh, as it is that it gets said. Let's say non-vasectomy related, but medical as the classification. Uh, recently, I found myself in ICU in a rather bad state. 
uh, due to diabetes and things were touch and go for a bit. While there, I realized I'd missed the Troy Townsend episode and the Nikki, the Nikki Bandini episode had just dropped. Literally not knowing whether I was in my last week's Traipsing the Planet, I found great comfort listening to their stories. Troy's I didn't know as well, and Nikki's I knew mainly through the pod and reading her stories in The Guardian. However, in those dark moments, their courage and grace spoke to me again and gave me some courage to face my own mortality with what I can only hope was the same grace as they've demonstrated. The pod is so much more than football. It is inspirational and it is humour and it is hopeful. Thank you again to all. I'm a long-time listener who, after some positive results, hope to continue that listening for a long time as the road to recovery looks doable now. Thank you for being voices of light and hope in a dark place from Kevin in Little Rock in Arkansas. Thank you, Kevin. We obviously uh, wish you all well. And finally, from Matt in Sheffield, who says, Hi, Max and Barry, long-time listener. Love the pod. Thanks for all the work you do. Hearing Troy on the recent pod was uplifting, moving, helped remind me of my privilege as a middle-class white man and was a really edifying experience. I'm therefore incredibly disappointed in myself as the entire purpose of me taking the time to write to you is to share with you a picture of Sean Dyche in a hat at Glastonbury. Big man going soft. Thanks again for all the content. I can't remember when we got onto Sean Dyche hating hats. Um, I think that was me. I think because I've Everton. noticed that he he has said something about just banning hats at clubs, and I didn't. I, I follow. I paid very close attention to this when he came in at Everton because it was in the middle of winter, and in all the training photos, certainly for the first week, I could see there were no hats in sight. So he seems to be, you know, tough on hats, tough on the causes of hats. But but the fact that Unless he's Glasgow, now been he's wearing at, a bucket hat, bucket hat at Glasgow, yeah. that changes everything. But is there is surely a difference? But there's a difference between hats you wear to keep off the cold and hats you wear to keep off the sun. Sean Dice is a ginger. He needs all the protection from the sun he can get. True. But heat loss is well. fine. These people would yeah. not do well in Scandinavia in the winter, I'll tell you. No, no. Anyway, no, you, you make a good point. And Sean Dice can remain as anti-winter hat as possible. And pro-frostbite of the ears. <laughs> That'll do for today. Cheers, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, thank you, Lars. Anytime, Max. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Football Weekly was produced by Daniel Stevens with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back, I think, next week at some point. Oh, yeah, next week uh, for a Women's World Cup preview. This is The Guardian.